0: Hey everybody, are you an active investment operator? Do you run your own portfolio? Do you buy properties from private parties, not from agents? Do you make this a full-time profession? Is this your only source of income? You are then an active investment operator. Today I'm going to be talking about part two of active investment optimization. I created a coined that phrase I don't know if it's uh, from someone else but active investment optimization is the process of preparing your investment portfolio for improved cash flow appreciation and viability of future cash out refinancing outright outright sale or any other exit strategy that you so choose taking what you have Rather than looking for perhaps another property to add to your portfolio to get a little bit more cash flow, optimizing what you do have so that you can make comparable cash flow without the need of the added investment property. Although you should build your portfolio over time, you want to focus on optimizing what you do have. So this episode, we're going to talk about property optimization. Last episode, I talked about a general overview I thought I was going to get into really highlighted bits, but I kind of went a little bit deep in certain areas and a little shallow in others. So we're going, to, we're going to go through this one by one. We're going to talk about the three elements of active investment optimization, this one being property. So today we're going to go over property size, property type, rather. I'm going to focus on single family residential. We're going to talk about overall condition. Of your properties and how to optimize that we're gonna talk about repurposing what you have you may have a single family you want to turn into a multifamily or you may have a multifamily you want to turn into a single family because you can earn more money in that particular scenario if your numbers say so. Um, then we're gonna talk about adding on building out an existing property adding additional square footage adding additional rooms everything else And then uh, mixed-use single-family residential we'll talk about a concept here where you can kind of take a little bit of Airbnb concept hospitality uh, a little bit of long-term stay kind of meld those things together if you have a large enough space you can even consider looking into office space in that residential area if it's geographically convenient to other office space you can look at using the garage for other other purposes as well. So, let's get right into it. First, I'm going to talk about the fact that I'm going to focus on single family residential. At this point in most investors career, being near the beginning, a couple years in, you probably have bought multiple properties through agencies outside of your area of 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 living, you know, outside of your residential areas. Um, You may live in Los Angeles and found a really nice property in in San Antonio, Texas and bought that, turned it into a duplex, bought another one and another one. And now you have a decent little portfolio. They are being uh, they're being managed by outside third parties, property managers, most likely the people that you had originally contacted uh, for agency to purchase it under a real estate agent and you, they may have contractors that'll do construction, do r- repairs, upkeep, all that stuff, turnovers, evictions, you have an attorney. So you have a good little team, but you're in Los Angeles, and each one of your properties is making a couple hundred bucks a month. You have a little bit of equity in there, but you know they could be doing better. They could be performing better. So that is an inactive investment operator. You are working passively in a sense you did actively go out and seek out the properties negotiate put together everything but you were working with with a team that's getting paid for products and services now you want to move into running your own proper your own portfolio so you have enough properties out there you know uh, a contractor's cousin that um, doesn't have a real estate license, but wants to get into the business and is looking for full-time work or part-time work to manage what you have. So they may go out there and, and clean and mow the lawns and take care of the bushes and, and uh, do tiny repairs, you know, little things, light fixtures, uh, work on turning over the properties when the tenants leave and new ones are coming in and so you've actively hired that person and you're paying them fifteen dollars an hour 40 hours a week and you have let's say 10 properties out there it makes sense you can minimize your expense you you no longer need the property management company because you have gone out and, and found a way to actively advertise and in the you know, the apartment complexes down the street you're promoting to them moving special so on and so forth taking good quality tenants and bringing them in to your property so you've, you've taken over that need for property management. These are the things you can do to optimize your single family residential and, and those are the activities that you go through when you are considered an active investment operator as opposed to a passive investment operator that's essentially not an operator at all just someone who is a, a passive investor that has money that goes out there and hires people to to make their investment dreams come true. Now you may have some success with that, but you can have much more success building out your own portfolio if you choose to be an active investor. So that's what this that's what these episodes are part the four-part series here. The first was general general overview of everything, and I delved a little, little deep in certain areas and not as much in others. But uh, we're gonna focus primarily on property today. Okay, so single family residential. The overall condition of these properties when you buy them is a, is a pretty important thing to consider. So, let's take this fictional person that lives in LA. We'll call him Larry. Larry has 10 properties and most of them are in San Antonio and Austin. Austin's a higher price point. It's a slightly different market or it's a very different market, but it's a slightly different approach that he has over there he's doing more Airbnb and charging a substantial daily rate and getting it because um, he has good properties over there but they do cost a lot and San Antonio it's more of the blue collar uh, guy paying twelve to fifteen hundred dollars a month on a property that you initially purchased for a hundred and fifty thousand dollars and is cash flowing decently so considering everything together we'll take this one element which is the San Antonio home and 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 he wants to add to his portfolio so if he's going to add to his portfolio and' pick one more property let's say for argument's sake he's optimized everything else and he hasn't touched this one so this is brand new straight off the shelf investment opportunity um, all the numbers are hit the appropriate numbers you know he, he's buying it at uh, we'll call it 80 cents on the dollar. I, I purchase properties far below that but I am truly uh, fully 100% independent and I only buy directly from sellers of properties I never buy through agents I never buy through wholesalers I source everything 100% myself I've always done this initially when I started off when I, before I was not a professional I did not do this but the moment I became pro it was, it was all us we were all self-sufficient whole hog we handle everything on our own and you know we'll go into those kind of discussions at another time but this property that you want to pick up is let's call it uh, it's worth two hundred thousand the median income or the median house price in San Antonio as of this recording is somewhere around 230 240 thousand depending on where you are in the city and so this one is below Market value. It's below the median about uh, 70% or so Which is appropriate. That's the kind of property you want to find you don't want the median You don't want to go above the median you want to go below the median This is your rental property You don't want to spend a lot of money on it. You don't want to have a lot of debt uh, and It's harder to justify rent rent increases on properties where you know you could purchase in the same neighborhood a home that needs substantial renovations, you could purchase that property for significantly cheaper than a home that was that someone actually uh, destroyed the property, you know, uh, bulldozed the property, built a brand new home, sold it to you as, as full retail brand new. So we're going to go with the problem property of a property that needs to be repaired. Now, this property. Fortunately and rarely actually has good foundation, let's say. And let's say the air conditioner is bad, it's 25 years old, it's about as old as the house, the roof is failing, uh, there's a couple windows that are broken, the carpet and everything else is trash, the uh, paint needs to be done, the yard's atrocious. These are, these are manageable things. So when you're deciding on your budget, you you need to decide up front which approach am i going for am i going to sell this retail if i do sell it retail i need to approach the way i do renovations one way if i'm going to rent it out i need to approach it another way you want to build in a rental portfolio you want to build a property to withstand normal wear and tear you want a sturdy place you don't want to put in granite countertops on oversized hanging uh, nicely designed uh, counter spaces you know in in, in an area like a bar area with a nice rounded cut and it looks really cool and shows perfectly you're not going to get your money back on that you can focus you can get Corian which is really nice you can get cement you can get butcher block you can get for mica, I'd, I'd go for butcher block because you actually can buy some butcher block. This is for the, you know, instead of marble or instead of granite or corian, you can get a nice butcher block very affordably. So I go to Lumber Liquidators and sometimes they'll have material there that's uh, going out and that pr- price, you know, price point, you can buy it at, at a very reasonable rate. You can have it cut Anyone can cut it. If you have a, a sawzall, not sawzall, <laughs> you'd actually butcher it. If you had a, a circular saw or a nice miter saw or a, a table saw, any good contractor's gonna have those tools and a good contractor can cut the wood for you very, very cheaply and install it. We're talking glue, some screws anchoring underneath, uh, hot glue, um, and you know, Putting on a uh, uh, like a, a wax to protect the wood, a food grade oil, and you, you place that in, in all your uh, in all your counter spaces. You can do it in the bathroom too. I'd suggest not, cause it's, that gets more wet and stays wet longer than than a kitchen. Wet. Someone will typically wipe up a kitchen, but you get the point. So spending a third of what you would spend on marble and granite. Now you may think 5 years down the road I want to sell this place so I don't want to have to rebuild everything. No, that's that stuff can very well get damaged. It could be outdated, the style and the look could be nice for now and then 5 years from now they have a whole different feel. So you don't you don't want to you don't want to hold yourself to that. And and frankly, you know, you just got to stick with that one strategy and minimize your costs as much as possible. If someone damages the wood, wood can be easily repaired butcher block uh, could be glued back together. You can tear out one piece of butcher block, put another one in for a couple hundred dollars in materials, versus granite, which has to be cut with a diamond saw. you have to source the material through through manufacturers and other uh, you know stone companies out there that will only work with licensed uh, licensed uh, stone companies. That go out there, licensed retailers that will go out there and, and design and cut and install your your uh, countertops. Now you could also go to floor decor or other places and and pick pre-cut sections and you can have those installed for for a pretty good price. But still, the uh, formica, the wood, even cement. Uh, or Corian, if you can get a good price on it. These are, these are better, more robust options that'll last a long time. If you went with Formica the cheapest, you know, I don't really love that material. There, People can put, if you put a hot iron or hot uh, pan on Formica, it'll melt. I know, because I've done it on accident. And so those, those damages are, are easy to incur, If it's wet for too long, the material can kind of bubble up because it is pressed wood underneath the laminate top. So it's not as robust. But, you know, if you're going to keep the property for five years and you want to exit in the future retail, then you should have a budget down the road to put in really nice countertops appropriate to the style, the year, the price point, everything else down the road. But for now, make it sturdy. Make it relatively inexpensive. Make it decent looking. Don't make it perfect. Don't make it beautiful. Don't make it a showstopper. You are not going to get the money back that you think you will. So that's there's one thing. So property overall property condition, using the countertops as an example. Now you can spread that out. So let's say roof. You can get a good 30 year roof that is a three-tab traditional Owens Corning material that looks nice. That's appropriate for the neighborhood, or you can get this really nice presidential. You can get, um, you can get you know Spanish tile, you uh, know look. You can get porcelain uh, glazed materials. You can get all kinds of stuff you know, slate, but you don't want to, you're not going to do that. You should not do that. You should get just your basic roof, get your basic roof, get your basic roof installed. Don't worry about adding additional, uh, ridge vents. You can do, you know, one standard ridge vent and a couple of vents, the appropriate stuff, but go, go for your basic, go for your basic, uh, roof in the future when you sell the property and you have a basic roof and the neighbors have a nicer roof, you're not going to make as much more as you think you will but what it will prevent you from doing is making a decent amount of cash flow up front because remember every dollar you spend now you have to recuperate over time and if you're making two hundred dollars a month positive cash flow and you spent an additional uh, so two hundred dollars a month is as uh, twenty four hundred dollars a year you spent an additional twenty four hundred dollars on your roof by getting presidential but oh, it looks really nice and in five years from now I'm gonna sell it um, You may not sell in five years, you may sell in 10, you may keep it longer. You may find that when you sell in five, it's it's not gonna make a price difference because it's still a good, nice roof. And someone may not like that presidential or that color you picked, you just don't know. But what you do know right now is you still have to recuperate that $2,400. So, $200 a month, positive cash flow. In theory, at the end of the year, the roof's paid off. But it's not because You have other expenses, it's not just the roof. It's gonna take, it may take you several years to break even on certain expenses that you went over budget to make it look nice for a future sale that may or may not happen. So plan for now, plan for what's appropriate now, plan, look, look at certain apartment buildings. Look at apartment buildings with a certain price point that you have in the same neighborhoods as you. Look at their building materials Emulate that. Some of these really nice ones will have stainless steel and granite countertops. Stainless steel is not all that more expensive than, than black or white appliances, so go go with stainless steel. Splurge on that. It's not. It's very. It's a minimal cost increase. You know, and you can get scratch and dent. It's going to get scratched and it's going to get dent the dented the moment you rent it. So you may as well buy a brand new scratch and dent that was kind of mishandled in, in the back. As they were loading it up, has a nice little nick in the bottom corner, but is perfectly functional and is 50% off. Go for that one. It's brand new, still has the warranty. No sense in buying the brand new one straight off the floor from Best Buy or, or wherever you source your materials. So, the list goes on and on. Air conditioning: get the appropriate air conditioner. Nothing fancy. Get the one that's functional that works. That is appropriately sized. Uh, make sure your duct work is done correctly. There's certain things you can't skimp on. Your, your duct work, and I wouldn't suggest skimping on anything, but there's certain things you can't, you don't want to go cheap on. You want to make sure that they do a very good job with proper ducting in the air conditioning. So, I, you know, I won't go into the construction element too much here, but there's certain things that you can pick. Um, you know, you don't need a smart thermostat, although for your own home, or if you do Airbnb, a smart thermostat is essential. It saves you money, there's a tax rebate on it and you can control you can control the temperature in there while you're away. With the Airbnb, it makes perfect sense. Someone in the house is always going to be too hot, too cold and you can't please everybody. So you put it at a temperature that's that's going to be as as pleasing to everybody as possible. And then have individual AC and heater units in each individual room so they can adjust their temperature in their room while they're sleeping or hanging out or doing whatever they do. In the common areas, you, you have an essential system that, that always is at 67 degrees or something like that. And then you can control it because people always try to up it. I've had many times where we come in and the house is set to 90 degrees in the wintertime. And 60 degrees in the summertime and it's been that way for two weeks and nobody nobody noticed. So smart thermostats are essential for Airbnb. But a long-term rental, not at all. The cheapest thermostat that you can get that is easy to control, a little digital one that costs maybe fifty bucks, as opposed to a two hundred and fifty dollar smart that needs to be set up with Wi-Fi and everything else. Okay. So that is overall property condition. The Money you spend up front on restoration, getting the property to the point of rent. And is absolutely critical. It sets the stage for how much positive cash flow you can receive over the life of this property. If you overspend, you're going to be in an uphill battle and constantly fighting against that. And there's only so much optimization you can do across everything I'm about to discuss in all of these episodes there's only so much you can do and each one has a compounding effect to the other so if you work on this on the property side work on the financing side work on the other side then you can you can make these you know these uh, these deals happen Um, so tenant selection finance and uh, property optimization you want to optimize everything and their appropriate amounts and their appropriate places, but you work through all those things, even over time, even if you overspent initially, you can scale back. You know, if you have a whole house air conditioning system and you have an Airbnb and each room has their own wall AC and heater, then you can close off the vents to the rooms and you can keep the vents open in the common area and have it set at a reasonable temperature, insulate the ceiling. You know, insulate the attic space, and do other insulation tactics. Uh, tint the windows. Put in better shades. Have uh, other other things that you can do to to keep your temperature at uh, at a reasonable level, which is going to save you a lot of money going forward. So you can kind of back out of some things you've done and save on them by using them less. Over time, and so those are things you really want to watch out for because those add up. Those dollars add up a lot. Next, we're going to talk about. We talked about single family. We talked about overall condition of single family. Repurpose, repurposing your existing property. So you you buy something that's vacant. I I bought an apartment building that had a market in the front, and the apartment there. So there's apartments in the back. It was a long block. It had apartments in the rear of the of the uh, property. This was on a corner lot too, in a, in a pretty busy area. And then it had a market in the front. The market was condemned a long time ago. I bought it, and you know it was still locked up. And they started rebuilding. At one point in time, they added a four stall bathroom and a kitchen area because they were going to turn it into a restaurant. And then that that just never came to fruition. Matter of fact, the roof had like four different types of roofing material on it or, or different colors and styles. So they bought material over time or got it on discount or, or picked it up from other jobs and put it up there. I don't know what they did, but that, you know, it was funky. And so that property in its condition in the area, in the zoning of the area, what the city wanted to see occupy that space, it didn't call for a market anymore and the apartment section of it was small and there's only so much I can do with that I could build it up I could I could have rezoned and and got its zoning uh, allowance to go into a, a maximum of um what was it, RMF 33 well regardless whatever the code is I could have added on and repurposed the market to apartment buildings and I can go up to two stories and this was all single story, two buildings on a corner lot, single story. I could have consolidated and built up. I could have repositioned things. There were things I can do, and and that's what I would have done. At that time, I had many projects going on. I ended up selling the lot for double what I bought it for. I had it for a, lo- a while. I rented out some, some, of the, um, some of the apartments in the back and made minor improvements at the time, made it livable and safe. And had plans to you know, get permission you know, to do the whole planning and rezoning, and then after a while, I was just so busy with all my other projects that this is the one that I should let go, sold it, made a good amount of profit, exited that deal. Um, had I kept it, I would have repurposed it. So I'm gonna talk about repurposing. So repurposing in this regard, you have, let's say, a property that, uh, oh, Larry. So Larry the investor, he's got a property And it is a fourplex. It's originally a a nice old Victorian home that was turned into multiple units, maybe up to eight at one time, with weird little buildings. And then downstream, a couple couple decades later, they, they built it back from eight little tiny units to four units and had it all individually metered and watered. Uh, This is actually an example of a property that I, I had actually done. And so this was in King Williams on Mission Street. I ended up selling that property as well. It was during the time where I had just so many projects going on that I had to let go of certain pending projects that I can make a good amount of money exiting right now, as opposed to waiting three or four years to have those fully built out and be inundated with multiple projects and multiple budgets that at that time I didn't, I didn't, I, I had too much on my plate and I needed to minimize. So I did. So those are the two um, that I got rid of. But uh, this, this, we'll just go back to Larry. We'll call this a fictitious example. So four unit four unit Victorian home with the same look and feel as the original you know low style Victorian 19 1900s appeal it would make a lot of sense in a a neighborhood in San Antonio called King William, which is the first historic district uh, in Texas. And it would make sense to turn that back into a Victorian. So repurposing it is ideal. Repurposing that particular property and keeping it long-term is not viable. Keeping it as an apartment is viable in the sense that that area will make you good money if you have a fourplex. You can rent each unit out for about two thousand bucks in the area. Problem with it is, it was not built to code at any point in time. And being in a historical district, there are restrictions that to get back into compliance would be quite an undertaking, quite a bit of complication, quite a bit of expense, and it would take a very long time to break even on an investment like that. So you may as well fight your battles on a different front because this one, although you can profit and be victorious downstream, you're gonna take a lot of time and effort that you don't necessarily need to apply. That you can make the same money on a couple different properties spread out and mitigating your risk, as opposed to focusing on this one, one property. It made sense for us to turn it back into single family. And so when we repurposed this property, we took it back down initially uh, to a single family and got rid of all of the common area and the uh, overbuild, you know, the walls that they had, the facades that were put up and, uh, and turned it back into a big open box and started from there. So without getting into my specific uh, property and getting back to Larry's example, um, repurposing in this case, would mean that you intend to sell this property short term. So anytime you do buy a property that is a duplex or a fourplex or multiples, uh, multiple buildings with multiple fourplexes on them, yeah, you you find these as well that were originally residential, and the surrounding residential properties are going for a number appropriate to your purchase price and and your construction costs. And your eventual sale, so all your numbers factor in that you're gonna make more money selling it single family, then you wanna sell it single family. If you intend to keep it and you don't have the same restrictions that King William does, and you and the property was built appropriately and it just needs some love and needs some repair, and it's not a, a really big thing to overcome, then you should keep it single family or multifamily. But pay close attention to your specific purpose or rather pay attention to really think about where you envision this property going what does the community need what's going to give you the highest profitability going forward what is going to make you know you got to balance it out between time effort money uh, community need and, and, and make that decision so Look at what you're getting. Look at properties you have and see if you can repurpose them if it makes sense. So that's a way to optimize. You may have it in one direction right now. You maybe you may have that fourplex and and you're um, you know getting minimal rents. You have some Section Eight in there. You have two property two of them that you've renovated and you're trying to get a higher amount. And then the people. Uh, are, are are not compatible with each other some have dogs the others don't have dogs and it becomes a problem and finding that finding that uh, that 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 blend uh, you may decide you know this is not for me i just want to i just want to rent it out to uh, you know i want to rent it out airbnb have traveling nurses coming in and make money this way so i think you know we'll just turn it back into single family and rent that out or or vice versa you know i i don't want the risk of an individual renting it out periodically, and I don't want to do Airbnb. I just want a long-term rental, uh, renter, multiple renters, and I don't have to worry. So we're gonna go ahead and, and uh, just fix everything up all at once or in stages in rapid succession, retenant and move on. That's an optimization right there. So repurposing is key. Add on, add on is a is a great thing to do. You you can add on in a house with the existing floor plan you you may have a place that's 2500 square feet and there's a big open um, sitting room a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of homes have sitting rooms and these rooms are the same size as a the bedroom they don't have a closet and it's unnecessary if you have a good open floor plan and then the hallway right there and there's a sitting room on the left and it's it's 12 by 12 you can put in a, a French door put in a closet and that could be a dual purpose. It could be an office or it can be another room. So now instead of having four bedroom house with a nice open area, you have a five bedroom house that still has an open floor plan because the kitchen and the living room are there. And you may have a wall in the living room dividing the wall in the kitchen and living room. You can open up that wall and now you have the common area there. So the sitting room no longer needs to be there. It's just unnecessary. Of course, a lot of people do the garage conversion and You know, you can do that as well, but uh, you're gonna have to add insulation and do other things, and sometimes it's nice to have that garage space. But you know, that's uh, that's it. So, okay, so that's add ons. Um, mixed use. So, the last thing I'm gonna talk about on this episode is mixed use. Mixed use in the single family world really means to me that you may have a house and you wanna rent out individual rooms, you wanna do an Airbnb, um, you can take, a, let's call it a six bedroom house that has a two car garage and a nice backyard with lots of space. You can optimize that like crazy. You can, there's a, there's a, a platform out there where you can rent out your garage space. I, I don't really know, know the name of the place, but I, I've seen it. And um, so you can rent out your garage, you can rent out both stalls of your garage. You can rent out one side, a wall there It's you know, here's your garage for this guy, charge him $150 a month. Guy next door, you charge him $150 a month. And then there's space in the back for an Airstream or, or someone's RV. You can store it in the back and you can have a nice enclosure for it or like an overhead, you know, like a, like a roofed uh, carport with power back there. And so now you have all your rooms rented out Airbnb. You may have a front office you know, say that, uh, and that other example I gave you as the, as the, as the, uh, the sitting room that can be turned into an office. And then that person, you can have your own separate door that opens directly to the, into the sitting room instead of the, the, the hallway. And that could be an office that could be a home office for somebody. So you could rent that out for three seventy $400 a month for the home office. They come in, go, you can have multiple people renting out that same space and you just, Monitor their usage. You know, this guy comes in on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. This guy comes in on Tuesday, Thursday, or however it's set up. They can organize it amongst themselves. There's there's ways of doing that, and there's a definite need for it. So that you can have office right there. The other five bedrooms are all Airbnb. You can have two of them, and a connected Jack and Jill. You can consider that like a suite. So it's a two bedroom unit, all to their own. They have their own bathroom in there, and you may. Install a a small little kitchenette and so you have these little worlds you have these little mixed-use areas So you have hospitality you have office space and you have storage all on a single-family property These are things you can do. These are ways to optimize your investments. So There you go That's it for today. I hope this was helpful. If you have any questions, please call me 210-355-2628, or you can text me. Text me at that number. Email me, Corey, C-O-R-Y, at FlipConnect.com. I look forward to hearing from you soon.